Let's pray together. Lord, we do turn now to Your Word, which speaks to us, and it's living and active. And we pray this morning that it would be powerfully at work in our own hearts, so that we would not leave here and forget what we have heard, but rather that we would leave here and be doers of Your Word. And so we pray this morning that You would work by Your Spirit to take it deep into our hearts, to bring conviction, to bring assurance, and to bring a sense of desire to do all that You have called us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our uh, Scripture passage this morning is once again from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. That's on page 979 of the Pew Bible. You'll notice this is the very last passage in the book of Ephesians, and so we'll be concluding our studies this morning. I did realize uh, after the fact that the title of this sermon could be a little bit alarming. It's hard to say goodbye. Some pastors give their goodbye message from the pulpit. This is not a goodbye message from me, I assure you. But we do learn what people mean to us when we say goodbye to them. Sometimes it's good riddance. At other times, it's a tearful goodbye. And you might say that's the kind of goodbye that the Apostle Paul is writing here. What would you write if you were writing goodbye? If you were writing this letter to the Ephesians... For some people, it might be a restatement of your main points. What do I want to leave the people with? But that's not the way that Paul ends his letter here. It's not a doctrinal treatise on the Christian life so much as it is a personal comment that reveals how invested he is in the people, just how much they mean to him and how much he means to them. Well, let me read for us here Paul's concluding remarks. Paul writes, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. When I went to the University of Missouri, I lived in a dorm the first year, and I can remember a senior by the name of Aaron. He lived down the hall. Uh, by all accounts, Aaron was the kind of person that didn't have any worldly possessions or qualities that would make him attractive to other people. Aaron Put his way through, put himself through school. He drove a car that was made by the Opal Corporation. I think it was a 1970s version. It was rusted. It was questionable whether or not it would start in the morning. And it was so small that you could probably compress it and put it in the back seat of a Mini Cooper today. And you would see Aaron driving around town hunched over in this little Opal car. He was the kind of person who was filled with humility, though, filled with the grace of the gospel, and was constantly giving me a very gentle invitation to join him at church on Sunday mornings. 
I had become a believer in high school, but I really didn't have much reason to go to church, at least I thought. And yet it was his gentle way of continually pursuing me, his interest in me, his apparent concern for me that eventually won me over and had a great impact on my life. He was a contrast to just about everybody else on campus who were there so that they could satisfy their own desires, so that they could achieve their own agendas. And then there was Aaron, who seemed to be interested in lowly freshmen like me. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, what is it that makes the gospel attractive? What is it that makes the gospel have a powerful impact on others? The Apostle Paul knew that it was the way in which the gospel is lived out in God's people that, humanly speaking, makes it attractive and have a powerful impact on other people. Paul's desire in the letter to the Ephesians was to communicate the gospel of grace. And so he writes this glorious letter that speaks of the glorious riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The fact that we're adopted into his family. He speaks of us being made alive. People who were once spiritually dead. That we're united into this glorious church where He's drawing people from every tribe and tongue together and placing them by His wisdom into one community. And He talks about life in the Spirit. And how that plays out in arenas like marriage and parenting and in the workplace. Then he talks about the battle that we are engaged in with the Lord Jesus and to put on the armor of God. And so he tells us all of these glorious things, but why write? Was it simply out of duty? Was it simply because he was commanded to? It was actually because of love. It was love for the bride of Christ. Because the message of the gospel is best communicated by a life that is transformed by the gospel. And Paul's life was transformed by the gospel, so much so that he fell in love with the church. And just like Aaron's life was transformed by the gospel and he paid attention to a lowly freshman like me, Paul's life was transformed by the gospel so that he gave his whole life to the church, following on the heels of his Savior who gave his life for the church. And so the gospel message, you might say, came out of Paul because it was first in Paul. Or you might say, a part of Paul. And that's why he writes the letter here. And so, he found that in his writings, it was his life of integrity, a life of faith that actually made a powerful impact upon the church. And so what we see here are three things about that. One, first of all, a genuine love. A genuine love. Look in verse 21. He writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Paul is so concerned for the church that they might not be worried and afraid for him because he's in prison in Rome, that he writes to them and he sends this faithful servant in the gospel, Tychicus. And so he sends not only a letter, but a personal representative so that everybody there in the church would know how he is doing. Paul himself had been 
aware of what it was like to be fearful for his own companions, for those that he loved. You might remember how he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 of his concern for Titus. That Titus had not arrived and so he went to look for him. And Paul knows this concern for other Christians and he doesn't want the church to be worried and concerned for him. And so he wants to let them know about what he is doing and how he is. And so he would send Tychicus on this long journey for this purpose, he says in verse 22, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus's job is to do two things. To inform them that Paul was okay. That all was well with him. But secondly, to inform them, as he says, what I am doing. That even in prison, he's standing firm for the gospel. Standing firm in the Lord Jesus. Bearing fruit in ministry. We learn from the book of Philippians that the whole imperial guard had heard about the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. And bold proclamation of the gospel before the Roman guard. Paul himself has witnessed to a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus who has now become a Christian while he was in prison in Rome. And he wants them to know these things that they might be strengthened and encouraged in the faith because his love for them and concern for them. You may remember how this relationship developed. If you were to go back and look at Acts chapter 19 and 20, you see that Paul spent at least a couple of years in Ephesus at one stint teaching them the Word of God. We also see in the book of Acts his affection for them on his return to Jerusalem with the offering for the Jewish Christians. He stops in Ephesus and tells the elders, gives them their charge, and we're told that it concludes with this. When he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. There's a genuine love between Paul and the Ephesians. Paul loved the church. Paul did everything he could for the church. He treasured it. He wrote to the Philippians and called them his joy and his crown. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that among all the difficulties he had gone through in the Christian life, probably the worst was the burden that he carried around for all of the churches. And so here's a man who once hated the church, despised it, and now has come to love it because the Lord Jesus Christ loves the church. One way to speak of the antithesis of love is hate. But there's another way to speak of the antithesis of love, and that's apathy. When you're apathetic towards someone else, it communicates, I do not love you. I have no need for you. You are not important in my life. You are as good as dead to me. Much like the prodigal son said to his own father when he said, give me my inheritance. You're as good as dead to me. Apathy. That's not the kind of affection that Paul had for the church. But it was an undying love for them. The person who is apathetic towards others is the kind of person who does not have a place in their hearts. 
Paul had a place in their hearts because of his love for them. Even towards, you might say, people like the Corinthians and the Galatians who despised him at times. If he was apathetic towards that church, he never would have written to them. But it was because of his love that he continually pursued them. It was because of his love that he continually wrote to them. Because he longed for them to grow strong in the Lord. Concern for the church, that's what Paul had. He wanted them to grow and to grow in Christ's likeness. And it's what made him an attractive servant of the church. I want you to think about doing something maybe later today. And that is when you go home and you have a few minutes to think about it, write down the top five books in your life that have shaped you. Not excluding the Bible, but the top five books that have shaped you in your life. Then write down the top five events that have shaped you. And then I want you to write down the top five people who have had an impact and shaped your life. And what I would venture to say for most of us, if not all of us, if we were to weigh all of those things on a scale, is that the top five people would have had a greater impact upon us than any event or any book that we've ever read. As glorious as that might, book might have been, as amazing as that event might have been, that it's the people in our life that have shaped us the most. So Paul here is one of those people with a genuine sense of love. He's sending here a letter to the church because he loves them, but he's also sending, you might say, a living letter in Tychicus because he wants them to know everything. That's what he says. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. Or excuse me, back in verse 21, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He wants them to know everything because he's concerned about them. Now there's in the Christian life a living connection with Jesus that every Christian has, but second to that is a living connection with God's people. With people who can have a powerful impact upon your life. If you are struggling to live the Christian life, if you are struggling to remain faithful, if you're struggling to believe, if you're struggling with apathy towards God Himself, it may just be that what you're actually doing is living in isolation, living in anonymity, away from the rest of the people of God, away from people who have this kind of love for God's people, who could have a powerful impact upon your life. And maybe one of the things that you actually need to do is begin to reach out into other people's lives so that their faith can have an impact upon yours. Or maybe even a better way to say it is open up your hearts to them. Because if there are these kind of people like the Apostle Paul, more than likely they want to pursue you. And they want to bless you. But there's something else here. And that is, in what way are we having an impact upon other people? In what way are we having an impact upon other people like the Apostle Paul here? One of the ways that Paul speaks of this kind of ministry is he says, you are a letter sent from God. That's what he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
You are a letter sent from God to others. And it's your life lived in faith that begins to have an impact upon other people. Would your name, would your name be on somebody's list? If somebody were to write out their list of top five people that have impacted them for the gospel, would your name be upon that list? That's a question you, you need to ask yourself. And that's not an effort to try to merit something before God or to try to elevate yourself, but it's simply a question of what kind of impact have I had upon people around me? And genuine love for the church does that. It begins to bubble over and resonate in the hearts of God's people. And so Paul here, we're, we see, has a genuine love for the church, but there's also something else, and that is genuine service. If we were to ask the question, who is or who was Tychicus? Who was he? Most of us probably could not give an answer to that question. He's one of the unheralded heroes of the New Testament. And yet, if we were to look throughout the New Testament, we could piece together a picture of his life, of his Christian maturity, of his faithfulness as a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, that he was from Asia. And he's paired up with someone who was actually from part of Asia where Ephesus is located. So it may just be that Tychicus' hometown was Ephesus. He joined together with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey. And here in this letter, we see that he's taken up residence with Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome. And he's such a faithful servant of Christ, such a wise and godly man, that the Apostle Paul would send him with a letter to the Ephesians and a letter to the Colossians and likely a letter to the Laodiceans and be his personal ambassador, personal envoy to these churches so that he would be able to tell them everything. But you might say even more than that is he had a more weighty task. You remember that slave, the runaway slave Onesimus who became a believer in Rome under Paul's teaching? Well, he was actually accompanying Tychicus back to Colossae. Tychicus had the difficult job of taking another letter, and that was the letter to Philemon. And to not only hand the letter, but to be responsible with helping Philemon and Onesimus reconcile in what was most likely a public type of reconciliation. And so he must have been a man who was filled with grace and with the wisdom of the Scriptures to be able to do a job like that. He was a faithful man. And this wouldn't be the last time that Paul would send him out either. Because the second time that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, when he was awaiting execution, he would send Tychicus to Ephesus one more time to be a helper to Timothy. He's a faithful servant. So Paul sends him with confidence, not only that he's going to tell them everything, but secondly, so that he would be a living example of everything that Paul has written in the letter to the Ephesians. So they would see in his life faithful service to Christ. So they would see in his life the kind of praise lived to God that Paul writes about. And so his own life is to be a letter written to the Ephesians. 
and his service to the church must have had a powerful impact upon the way that the letter and the gospel of Jesus Christ was received. In the 1980s AIDS epidemic, there was a hospital volunteer who also volunteered not only to meet with other patients, but among other things, go on the AIDS ward to help clean, bathe, serve, and love AIDS patients. There were AIDS patients of all sorts. They were rarely ever touched by any human being, rarely had any contact, rarely ever felt any love or affection, and rarely felt valued by anyone. And along comes this volunteer. And there was one patient in particular who was a heroin addict, and he had contracted AIDS by using a dirty needle. And after weeks of being cared for by this particular volunteer, of being cleaned and bathed and served in every way and encouraged, he asked her, why are you doing this? Why are you serving me? And the answer was, because I was just like you. Not laying in a bed dying of AIDS, but I was just like you before the Lord Jesus. And He came and He saved me. And friends, it's that kind of service to others that has a powerful shaping impact on their lives. Tychicus was a quiet example of unheralded service that yet had a powerful impact upon the church of Jesus Christ. Using His gifts serving in every way that he can, putting himself beneath others, considering the interests of others more important than his own, investing his life in people so much so that he would do the messy job of reconciling two people at odds with one another in a very public fashion. All because the Lord Jesus had had a powerful impact and had served him. And we're called to do the same thing. To serve people in those ways that have an impact for Christ. Well, finally this. Genuine love, genuine service, and then finally a genuine blessing. Verses 23 and 24 are Paul's blessing upon the church. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now it was customary in Paul's day to end with some kind of blessing actually from the gods, from the pantheon of gods. Paul used that practice, but he changed it a bit. And he actually brought blessings from God the Father and from God the Son and from God the Holy Spirit. So the church would be blessed by the triune God. And so he takes this opportunity to bring blessing upon them. Now the Bible is filled with both maledictions or curses and benedictions or blessings. And probably the most famous blessing in the Old Testament was the Aaronic benediction. That's not the ironic benediction, it's the Aaronic benediction. In other words, the high priest Aaron was called to pronounce this blessing upon the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Paul here takes the same practice of 
pronouncing God's blessing upon His people. And He does the same thing. Peace, love, grace be with you. That's what He desires for the church. And so we see in this, He pronounces upon them, peace be to the brothers. In other words, the kind of peace that begins to reign when the Gospel takes hold of our lives. So that in these arenas that Paul has already addressed in places like marriage and the church and family and the workplace, peace begins to reign. Why? Because we submit to Jesus. We trust in Jesus. His Word begins to direct our lives. We become humble like Christ. We want to serve others like Christ. We stop holding grudges. And we begin to care for others. And when that happens, peace begins to reign. But not only that, but love with faith, he says. Or you might say, love accompanying faith. Because true love comes from faith in Christ. Paul declared to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Love accompanies faith. When you trust in Jesus, you begin to love other people. Because His love begins to fill you. And finally, he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Grace. Unmerited favor that allows me to stand in the presence of God. Allows me to draw strength from God so that I can continue to live the Christian life. And all these blessings, he said, comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul wants the church to live in the blessings that come from Jesus. To live the blessed life, you might say, in all these arenas. He wants the best for the church. He wants the church to live in the love of God. And not only that, but he wants the church to respond to this love. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This love incorruptible can either mean love that continues even in the state of incorruptibility or immortality or forever, or an undying love. But either way, it's love that lasts forever. In other words, those who hear the Gospel message are called to be those who respond to the Gospel message. By loving Jesus with the same kind of love that He has given to us. So Paul wants the church to be blessed by receiving everything Jesus has and then loving the Christ their Savior in return. To be more and more satisfied with Him. Think of all the things about which we worry. If you were to write down your list of all your worries in life, and how much anxiety goes on up here because of those things. Or you to write down all the things in life about which you are captivated with. And how much mental energy is spent being consumed with those things. Paul says, I want you to be consumed with loving Jesus. With giving your whole life to Him. To be satisfied with Him. Otherwise, you end up becoming like the church in Ephesus eventually became. You remember John writing to the church a couple of decades later, telling the church in Ephesus, 
you have lost the love you had at first. Your doctrine is pure, but you've lost the love you've had at first. Unfortunately, that's what happened to the church. Because they didn't continue to respond to the grace of the Gospel and love Jesus in return. And what He wants us to do is to take this letter and do everything that He says because we love Him. To love our wives. To respect our husbands. To love our children. To honor our parents. To serve the church. To submit to our bosses. And to stand firm for Jesus. Because we love Him. And most of all, you might say, that we would be like the Apostle Paul and Tychicus here who want to speak a word of blessing to others. So that even your enemies you would speak a word of blessing to as a display that the love of Christ dwells in you. That has had a powerful impact upon your life. My friend Aaron, I saw him a few years after graduation. And we spent a little bit of time together. And before we parted ways, probably for the last time until we see each other in glory, he said, I'm proud of you. And I remember that and I will remember that. Because it was a word of blessing given to me. Because he loves me. He has served me. And He wants what's best for me. And it's a picture of the Lord Jesus. And He says to the church, become like your Lord Jesus. Love one another. Serve one another. Bless one another. And you will have a powerful impact for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for those in our lives who have invested themselves in us. We confess that at times we have spurned their love. We have not wanted to submit to their wisdom and advice that has come from You. We have wanted to run our own ways. At times we have lived for ourselves and not tried to invest our lives in others. And we pray that You would forgive us of those things. We ask that we would see the grace and blessings of Jesus in this letter. And that our lives would become like the Apostle Paul and like Tychicus. So that we would be a blessing to everyone around us. And that your kingdom would grow because of the way in which you have impacted our lives for Jesus' sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen.